Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to another week of Something for the Turbo podcast. I'm your host, Jules. It's been another incredible week of cycling. There's so much cycling going on at the moment, it's hard to keep track of what's going on. What a brilliant few days of World Championship action, and we've got more incredible racing coming up this week. We've got more incredible guest books in over the coming weeks. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review, and do join us on the Unfound app as well. You can get it on the App Store or in Google Play. Download the Unfound app and register to join the community. It's free to do, and you can join cyclists from around the world, sharing photos, rides, stories, articles, and loads more. Anyway, let's kick on to today. I absolutely love catching up with our guest today. He is a former pro, a coach, a biohacker, and a podcaster, Anthony Walsh. Uh, from Ireland. You probably know him as the Roadman or the Roadman Cycling or A1 Coaching originally. We discussed loads of different things from racing in France and the US to running multiple businesses before taking stock and discovering a new way to train and lead your life, which is now what he's doing through his business, Roman Cycling. It's a brilliant conversation where we discuss many things from Sam Bennett winning the green jersey to some of the biohacks that can improve your life, including intermittent fasting, cold therapy, light therapy, journaling, meditation, grounding, and why it's worth looking to all these different methods, especially from a stress management perspective. We also discuss his 14-day intro challenge for just two euros and lots more training and performance options. We also discuss lots of different podcasts that we listen to, books. It's a really interesting and varied conversation, and I enjoyed it immensely. He's a top man. We share many similar thoughts. In fact, when I was editing this, my wife said to me, you you two are very similar, except he's an infinitely better cyclist and has a far sexier voice and I can't argue with either of those so without further ado let me bring you Anthony. Anthony thanks for joining me how are you? Good delighted to be on podcast long time listener first time caller as they say. Oh very good well thanks for taking the time given how how busy you are you must be a very happy man after yesterday's conclusion in the tour. Yeah look it was brilliant I took on the somewhat arduous commitment to doing the daily tour de France podcast and it was you could feed off the energy, especially here in Ireland with Sam Bennett having such a crazy battle with Sagan and what a perfect way to top it off yesterday. That's amazing. I think he, he, he caught he caught the hearts of everyone really with his the, the stage win when his interview post that and then the tears and the emotion and uh, just to cap it off on the Champs-Élysées yesterday was magnificent. Yeah, Sam is a guy I came up kind of racing against most weekends and there was four of them kind of around the same level of ability and Sam kicked on to continental level and he got stuck there for a long time and I know he had a lot of times where he almost quit the sport uh, Oh, really? a, lot of, a lot of good people actually myself and sam used to have the same coach martin o'loughlin he's a he's a great cycling man and a lot of credit has to go to him for you know pulling sam back on the bike at times he wanted to quit and it just shows you what's possible when you when you just never quit yeah keep going keep sticking at it yeah and what did you make of the tour in its entirety a, a magnificent addition really wasn't it it was brilliant tour de france i think you know last year's tour de france and ala philippe holding the jersey so long and deep into the race was great to watch but i thought it was surprising past this year we had Jumbo Visma and obviously it's easy to be an armchair critic now but like what do you think about are they kicking themselves today and thinking you know what we should have played the Doom Milan card we should have kept them close put them in the break and forced UAE to chase yeah yeah it's it's hard to know like it's hard right I mean I mean I don't think anyone expected him to take two minutes out of him on that time trial no but I'm not sure did you see Eddie Merckx's comments in L'Equipe I did see that yeah he was pretty scathing wasn't he yeah and for anyone who hasn't seen it Eddie Merckx was basically saying 57 seconds wasn't enough of a buffer that they needed to like put the hammer in I think it was was it the day up the Parasud when they let uh, Pogaccia get I think 30 seconds yes yeah he got 30 seconds there and also on the Col de la Lose, I think they probably could have gone harder on him there they, yeah. they let him off the hook a little bit there didn't they 100% and I think if you know it's obviously easy to sit back and be the armchair critic and if Roglic wins the TT or you know wheels don't completely fall off or we're sitting here and saying Oh, how perfect the tactics were for Jumbo Visma. Yeah, and a worthy champion. Yeah, I mean, I thought the tour was super entertaining for, I mean, I think we're seeing some a new generation of riders coming through, which is really exciting as well. With your coaching hat on, 
how, how do you feel that the sort of unconventional season affected the, the, the style of racing that we saw during the tour? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it definitely wasn't a level playing field. You see the Slovenians uh, first and second on GC. Slovenia basically didn't have a lockdown. I know I had Jani Brakovic on the podcast uh, a little bit ago and it, they were training all the way through. And when you look at that and you compare it to, you know, the harsh restrictions people had in Girona where a lot of the pro cyclists are based and they were effectively the only way you could leave your apartment was if you had a dog. So I think dog sales were massively went up with pro cyclists in Girona for a while. That's hilarious. I didn't realize that. That's uh, Yeah, that obviously affected things, but also the lack of racing coming into it, I suppose. And and also, uh, like, do you feel that the, the fact that some of the riders had a longer time to to actually train and, and focus on on structured training as opposed to sort of racing recovering racing recovering for for however however many months yeah look the coaches are getting it so correct with the data these days that a lot of people are saying oh it's a worry that they're not racing but it, these are professional athletes they're some of the greatest sports scientists in the world powering the machines behind these teams and they're not going to let riders lose condition so it's just a matter of you know ticking up training stress score points that's like the physiological loads that a session has on your body it's a matter of accumulating those week by week and the coaches will have all those key performance indicators and they'll know exactly the amount of stress an athlete needs to have accumulated one month out from a race two weeks out from a race going into the race and it's absolutely a science now rather than an art yeah but but using that science would you say it's i suppose given given the the, the amount of time they've had off you, you can apply that science more than having to sort of juggle it around how the, the stress they're putting through racing yeah possibly but it, it is really difficult at times to replicate the stress you do get in racing because you're in yeah, the bunch, you're in the bunch for long periods of time which means it's a much lower torque figure and you're able to just cruise along at this lower torque but still quite decent average watts and high speed which is why you see a lot of the guys motor pacing to replicate it and there's there's not many other ways to replicate those demands yeah interesting well I've, i thoroughly enjoyed it and the amazing thing is where are we now we're, we're late in september and we've got a whole load of racing still to come this year i know it's insane the world championships are like next sunday and we still have paris yeah. Bay, flanders it's unbelievable yeah. Giro, Volta, very cool, very cool. Look, we've, we've digressed a little bit and why don't you tell everyone that, that hasn't come across A1 a little bit more about yourself and your background and yeah, the, the growth of your business and, and where, you, where are you going with it and what the plan is? Yeah, I that's, suppose. That's a massive, that's an open-ended question, but let's yeah. start from the beginning. There that's a, you can go and get that's a coffee on. now, I'll take it from here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I suppose I was the accidental entrepreneur. I went through, I, my background was soccer. Uh, you know, I say soccer because I spent a little bit of time in North America, which I'll get to for a second. I still get slated here in Ireland for calling football soccer, but I've picked up one or two of those things like sidewalk and cell phone that are just difficult to shake. Yeah, you can start with them now. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, tell me about it. So I was kind of the accidental entrepreneur in that I came through law school. I trained as a barrister here in Ireland, and I never intended to carve out a career as a cyclist. And I just started getting decent results as an amateur in Ireland. And we have a sort of pro-am race here. It's like a tour of Ireland. We call it Ross Talton. And we're massively proud of it. We, you know, Tour de France stage winners every year coming through it. You know, Tony, the likes of Tony Martin and stuff have come through and raced pretty well there. And I did decent uh, eight days in uh, the Ross in the year I was graduating law school and, you know, from a very middle class family. And law school is typically a very upper class pursuit uh, in Ireland and the UK. So a lot of my classmates were going on things like very upper class things like gap years and, you know, gap years don't exist when you have big law school loans. So I was like, you know, I'll be getting straight into work now after law school, pay down these loans. But I got a chance because I raced quite well in the Ross. Uh, a French team approached me and asked me would I go out to France and race uh, for a division national team in France the following season. I just thought, you know what, it's the opportunity of a lifetime to, you know, get paid. I'll bet a very modest amount of cash. I think I made 50 euro a week in France. Yeah. Now, what you will see when you make 50 euro a week, if anyone has lived on 50 euro a week, it's not enough money to buy food. So you think it's enough money to buy food. And the especially interesting weeks are the ones where if you have a crash and you have to choose between food and bandages. Now, these are real decisions. But just just to go back a sec, because you, you originally studied economics, didn't you? And then so law school was after university. Is that, is that right? Yeah, law school is a postgraduate. Uh, here postgraduate. So when did you start like riding bikes and racing bikes? I mean, did you do it as a kid or obviously you mentioned you played football, soccer, 
But when did you when did you first get into cycling? I actually got into it very very late. So I played soccer you, yeah. up until about nineteen. And then I had a few years of just, you know, typical undergraduate in college, drinking too much and sleeping too late. And I didn't get into it until nearly postgraduate. So I was probably 25 before I ever threw my leg over a bike and started racing. Really? And so the year, that's what I was bringing back to. So the year that you went to France, you were 28, is that right? I, yeah, I was 27, 28 when I went to France, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so it was very much meant to be just one year out there. And the racing is it phenomenally hard and amazing in France. It's They have an expression, it's Le Métier is the expression. And the former uh, sky writer, Michael Barry, has a great book with the same title, Le Métier. Le Métier translates kind of to work ethic, dedication, craft. But for me, it was very much the apprenticeship. And Le Métier was a word I heard all the time. And it's the apprenticeship of being a cyclist. It's the getting up early, logging the six-hour days, eating very little, strict on diet, strict on rest, strict on training. And, you know, it's no wonder we see France as the breeding ground for so many of the World Tour riders to transition through it. But but I came out of uh, France and... I was dating a Canadian girl at the time and I went to visit towards the end of the season and I won quite a big race out in Fran- out in uh, Canada, Niagara Classic. It's one of their big one-day races. And I stayed on Canada. There was a continental team out there, Jet Fuel. And so I guested for them for the second half of the season. Their season ran a little bit later. Uh, okay. get- guested for them, had a couple of good results there. And I got offered an actual contract with Estelis, who were a new pro team forming in the US at the time. So signed out there the following year. But I suppose that's where uh, the coaching company started for me because I had deferred law school loans. And I'm not sure if uh, it's the same in the UK, but here in Ireland, law school is quite expensive. And I deferred law school loans. And now I had to figure out, okay, how do I make some money with an internet connection to pay back these law school loans? And that's where it kind of started. It was the entrepreneur by necessity. And I started out, I think, coaching like four or five guys, giving them some tips. And I got lucky because Team Sky launched around the same time and the coaching okay. company just exploded. Like you we went from the wave, yeah. completely accidental. Uh, like I think I went from, you know, six clients to a thousand clients in 12 months and it was a crazy wow. explosion. And this was all, and you were racing in the States. What was that like? Good racing? It's brilliant. You know what? I, yeah. like, I was very honest with what I was going to get out of cycling. I came into it late. I didn't feel like I had the desire or the talent to ever try pursue a world tour career. Yeah. And I, I was very much, you know, seeking to get some free travel out of this, live the life of a pro athlete for a few years. And the States is amazing because, you know, they do they do pomp and ceremony like no one else. So you'd be on the, you know, in Dublin and here in Ireland, we race like a criterium on a Wednesday night in an industrial estate. You go yeah. to the States. And it's like Friday night, downtown Tampa Bay, nine o'clock start with the lights and the party. Like you've missed Tampa, like singing the national anthem. And it's absolutely phenomenal experience and thousands out at the races and huge prize money. And for anyone who's kind of continental level and they're kind of thinking, I'll pack it in for a year. I'd highly encourage people to get out to the US and race for a year because brilliant, brilliant fun, brilliant life experience. Yeah, I think travel, I think travel can do that for anyone. I, I recommend anyone get out and travel and spend some time living abroad. It's, uh, yeah, hugely good. So obviously you, numbers boomed, you're up to a thousand. You're still living in the US at this point. Yeah, I think I didn't come home from the US for another, I stayed in Canada for a little bit after that and then came back to Ireland to sort of settle down. And I suppose that's where it all started kind of going wrong for me. I'd, I'd made the decision to at least temporarily not go back to practice in law. I tasted what this life is like of living on the road, riding your bike when you want, having some cash in your pocket. And I started going deep into entrepreneurial stuff and studying entrepreneurs. And I figured, oh, I need to diversify. Coaching's too risky. So over a period of a couple of years, I started losing sight of what was great about coaching, the lifestyle and helping people. And I started just, I tried to build an app and we went down the Silicon Valley route with venture funding. And then I tried to Jeez. build an event pre-registration platform. I set up a media company, set up a cycling cafe. And what was happening over this course of time was I was riding my bike less and less. I was starting to put on a little bit of weight for the first time ever in my life. Yeah. And honestly, this isn't that easy to say it, but I actually wasn't as happy as I was. And I don't want to throw around the term depressed, but I definitely wasn't as smiley and happy and the joys of life in me. Yeah. And this is just, just too much, right? I mean, like 
before for those listening for before we started recording you said off the air you, you tend to take on a lot of different things you weren't exaggerating so you had the the app which was pocket coach is that right pocket coach yeah yeah and and all these other different things going on how how did that come how did that finish for you i was lucky to have a brilliant mentor in my life and it actually finished where i was training almost zero but i was so delusional you know i always say the power meter it's like clipping into two little lie detectors it never lies to you it's unemotional it just gives you hard facts but i was saying oh no my my power meter battery's not working or the power meter's on the frizz and i wasn't getting on the weighing scales but my weight was going up and my power was going down and i remember going to a race and I hadn't trained in months, but I was I was fat as a fool and completely delusional. I went to a race, an elite level race here, like category one, and a race typically like previously two years to that I would have been very close to winning or you know at the business end of it. And I was in the broom wagon all day on stage one. And it was like humiliating. Just guys going, oh, Jesus, I've never been in a group with you before. And oh. I mean, yeah. And everyone had known you as the guy who'd raced in France and US and stuff like that as well. That must have been pretty tough. Oh, it was horrible. And I remember my girlfriend was at that race with me. And at the end of the race, I, I faked an injury to the rest of the team. And I went home and I was close to tears in the car on the way home because I was actually... I got into cycling initially. My dad always suffered with weight problems. He lost his toe in an accident. And I seen the limitations that being unfit and unhealthy had on someone's life. And when I got into cycling, it was never with aspirations to race through the Pyrenees. And it was actually just to stay fit and healthy. And when I was coming home in that car, in that like emotionally charged moment, I was like, not only am I close to quitting cycling, but I'm actually close to giving up on the vision I had for my own life. And it was really, really hard to take. And it was at that time that I had a great mentor and he said to me, look, just press pause on everything. And that's what I did. And that's a really difficult thing to do for, you know, an an adult is to press pause on absolutely everything. So I sold the cafe, I sold the media company, put everything else on pause. And I just went away and I traveled the world and went to as many seminars and attended as many talks and for me is actually the, the big thing was i default every single time in my life that i something good has happened for me it's been preceded by a period of really hard work and i was always quite academic so the big thing i done was i just immersed myself in books literature research and i went away and i i was lucky enough a few years ago to listen to a talk from tim ferris over in the, the states yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the take home I took from the talk, and I put it in the center of a page, and I just highlighted it. And it was, if you can find out what your big domino is, the one question in your life that if you can answer this question, every other question fails to matter or becomes insignificant. That's like the key to happiness. So I actually went off and I searched for that one question for about twelve to eighteen months, where I done nothing else in my life, only focus on that one question. And that question for me that I figured out was, how do I use cycling as a tool to be happy, to be healthy, and to live longer? And I went down rabbit holes like you wouldn't believe from, you know, other sports to business to high achievers in every aspect of life. And I ended up putting together something that just worked brilliantly for me. It was a combination of so many different things. Like, I suppose we call it collectively, maybe like it's like biohacking. We're using therapies like intermittent fasting, cold yeah. therapy, light therapy, grounding. And I combined all this with an, a, a type of cycling coaching, the best parts of cycling coaching that work for me. And, and I was actually tempted to go back to law at that point. I was like, you know what? I've unlocked this secret that's making me really happy the research is amazing for the the effects this is going to have on my health my happiness and my longevity and i thought i've unlocked it i'm waking up every morning feeling happy feeling light feeling fresh with energy to take on the day my productivity is like trebled and then i had this moment going you know what it's i need to give this back i need to I need to help some people with this. And that's when I decided to shelve law and come back and I rebranded A1 Coaching now as Roadman Cycling. And that's the yeah. that's the mission for Roadman Cycling. And I started out with a, like a beta group, I suppose, to use the Silicon Valley term, but really just a group of friends. And I said to them, look, I have think I've stumbled on something really amazing here. It's a combination of different strategies and techniques and you know stuff like meditation and journaling and uh, yeah. i got 10 of them and i said would you be willing to check this out and the effects of them were it was life-changing stuff for these guys and these guys weren't aspiring pro athletes they're businessmen you know they're they're executives in companies they're busy lives they're married and honestly most of them had in common that they just weren't that happy and they weren't that healthy and they weren't that fit 
And I brought them through this for about 12 weeks and I had transformative effects on them. And that's when I thought, you know what, I, I need to share this. And that's as corny as that sounds, I think I got to a stage where I was like, you know, I need to make a contribution for me to get to the next level of growth. Yeah, I find that super interesting because although you've been an, an elite rider, I think that that everyone listening, so many people can re- probably relate to that. It's so easy to to lose the equilibrium and and get lost a little bit, right? And I suppose what you've stumbled upon is kind of an analogy of that in its entirety. Well, it's almost like what's the vision you have for yourself for the future? And we do this for other people all the time. If you're in work, or you're in a business you have a goal, maybe it's a sales target. And then to hit that target, you have KPIs, key performance indicators along the way to see if you're on track for that target. But a lot of us don't do this in our own lives. And, you know, as I think Helen Keller said, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. But so few of us put these signposts in place to make sure we're going the right direction. So so talk me through, let's go Let's go back to, to Roman and where you're at with that stuff now, because it's, it's not that stuff, obviously your organization. It's, it sounds like you've taken quite a holistic view to, to training and, and almost like a whole lifestyle thing. Talk everyone through how it works and, and what kind of work and what kind of athletes you're working with and stuff. Yeah, we're working with, I suppose, athletes ranging from... I would say our target market now, it's honestly athletes that are 35 years of age and older. And they're they're people we bring through this. It's a three-dimensional coaching system, I call it, where we focus on training all the aspects of this amazing trickle-down economics we've got from World Tour or trickle-down science we've got from World Tour, where there's so many commercial interests now to make sure Roglic, Bogaccia, these guys are going well on Tour de France week. But we can take that amazing science now because your event is just as important to you as their event is to them. It's, you know, it's subjective. So yeah. we, we take that, we take the best parts of that. But then I think where it sets us apart is we focus on diet as the second aspect because the power of food is just phenomenal. So we use strategies around, you know, blood sugar is such a huge, huge problem for people and sugar is so prevalent in today's society that you can use strategies which are they're just they're peer-reviewed proven in research but not much commercial interest in advancing these agendas i'm talking about things like you know if you're to have a saline uh, cinnamon uh, before a meal if you're to have apple cider vinegar before a meal these things have a powerful effect at controlling your blood sugar and you know there's amazing studies to show that the more fluctuations you have in blood sugar level the higher chance you have as you go older in life of contracting chronic diseases so it's stuff like controlling these blood sugar levels are really really important to us and they're at the center of a lot of stuff we do and then the third aspect of it it's i've taken the best from high performance in other sports and business celebrity all these guys and i've put together like a biohack package and it's honestly been completely game changing for me like i start off every day with a morning routine so i'll get up in the morning and straight away as much as it pains me to not have a coffee first thing i'll down about 500 ml of water mixed in with some lemon and some salt sea salts because our body is just craving that next i'll move over and i'll do a light therapy with this uh, unit i use called juve j-o-o-v which is absolutely phenomenal it's photobiomodulation this promotes collagen in the skin collagen is like you know all these sort of rich hollywood uh, folks the, the wives of actors and the ultra rich it's so in vogue over there at the moment now to be going into these clinics for red light exposure and that's what juve is but for athletes and especially aging athletes it has the effect of boosting our testosterone levels as well so I'll do that and then I'll get in a cold shower for three minutes and yeah. then I'll journal for a little bit and then I'll start my day. It takes me maybe 30 minutes for this morning routine. But what the morning routine does is it, it starts the day on my terms. So I'm not I'm not reactive. I'm starting the day on a solid footing. And honestly, you're just in a good mood after going through it. Well, you're in control of the day, as, as you point out as well. And you haven't spent half an hour on social media or looking at irrelevant content right i think that that that's kind of key and uh, it's a really interesting approach you're, you're taking and and i think i on a personal level i think that it, it can become so easy for aging athletes who are juggling families and jobs and stuff just to become too focused on hitting power numbers and n- potentially not eating enough in the right way 
um, as being the, the 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 two goals to success. But often you lose equilibrium in other parts of your life, and either you can dig yourself in a hole or you fall out of love with it. And 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 I think you taking the sort of that whole approach of making sure you're looking after your mind, make sure you're getting enough sleep, make sure you're eating well in the right way as well as training i think that's very effective way and very interesting i think you actually you hit the nail on the head there it's taken on too much for pro athletes where you only have train and recover it's actually not that difficult of a equation to figure out but when you look at an athlete who has you know training work family and let's be honest, all of us want some aspect of a social life as well. So you're balancing multiple things. So one of the studies that really set me down this track was when I learned about cortisol. Do you know what cortisol is? A stress hormone, right? Exactly, yeah. So it, it's re- it's produced in response to positive and negative stimulus. So for instance, if we train, we produce cortisol. If we go on the piss and we have a lot of alcohol, we're producing cortisol. If we eat bad food, we're producing cortisol. So if we're adding in a lot of training to, you know, a normal amount of stress for a person, you know, your any functioning relationship has a little bit of stress attached to it. Then you top up with a little bit more work stress. Then you top up with a little bit more social stress. And now all of a sudden you're at about 90% of your stress capacity. Now you add your training on top of it and it all just bubbles over. You can't handle it all. So a lot of my stuff is focused around how do we reduce the amount of stress in our lives so we can add training in? And instead of it just being like a 10% capacity at the top, we have a 50% capacity to add training in. Like a lot of things I talked about, like cold therapy, intermittent fasting, light exposure, grounding, meditation, journaling, all these things are very, very powerful at reducing cortisol levels. And it just gets you, it allows you to take on the training stress then without just everything falling apart feeling so overwhelmed that's quite interesting and i think that a lot of people be able to relate to the fact that they may notice those elements happening in their lives but for me for example i always i always twig it too late because i think when you're when you're not managing things very well you're also not very good at noticing it (laughs) does that make any sense 100% and uh, you know like I'm not saying here and pontificate and saying I'm perfect as well I've gone through spells where you know I've built this system because I can relate to it so much and I've been the guy that's got up first thing in the morning I picked up the phone and all of a sudden you got a whatsapp message from somebody and it's you know not the news you were looking for and you're starting the day on a bit of a downer then you have your coffee now you're dehydrated so you're compounding extra cortisol from dehydration on top of mental cortisol from the whatsapp message and you know, you're trying to squeeze in meetings and then you get home at six o'clock at night and you just don't have the energy left to train. And it's not your fault because you're just tapped out. You know, one person can only take so much cortisol in a day before you just have to sit down defeated. And then you start beating yourself off because you, you well, do. Well, that's it. Well, that's it. And also this has got this, 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 uh, it is, I suppose, a slight addiction with like um, the, the, the the additional stress you put on yourself if you miss a session, right? And it's it's um, it's all very well setting a session, but if you've got so much going on in your life and you miss that session, it, it, the, the coach may not appreciate just how much is going on, and and you'd be far better off not doing it. I always found out that some of the best cyclists I've, I've ridden with through the few years of cycling I've done actually are far better at just sort of walking away, saying, "Look, I'm I'm not training today. I'm not in a good place, or I'm too tired, or whatever." Whereas I think a lot of people just say, "But it's my time. I have to ride today. I've got to do it." And and you just dig yourself into a deeper and deeper hole. One hundred percent. And I think what I've noticed through the years as well, if you're looking at your day in your Google Calendar and it's super super busy. And you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this session in or I'm going to be really stressed that you plan to do it at lunchtime and lunchtime gets pushed to four o'clock and you'd be way better off freeing yourself of the stress of thinking, when am I going to get this session done and go, you know what, I'm going to move my rest day to today and I'm going to just lean into the fact that I have a busy day and I'll, I'll ha- I won't have as busy a day later in the week and I can get it in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So look, just so obviously we, we've had a, a few coaching platforms and a number of different coaching, um, I, I suppose, options on, on the podcast. And, and I'm a massive believer that, you know, every athlete, every individual, that there, there is an option for, for everyone and, and you need to figure out what works best for you and in, in your lifestyle. But for someone that's listening to this that, that might be interested in, in changing who they're working with or can relate to some of these, okay, I'm not balancing the whole life and training and, and stress and and I'm in or I'm interested in in light therapy or and meditation etc how does it work with Roman if someone's interested how do they get in touch with you what is that process how do you advise them on where they meditate do you guys give 
off of that? What, what, what happens there? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're actually just building out at the moment what I call the roadman journey. And the idea of the roadman journey is you come in and it, the first step, it's a 14-day kickstart. And I like to say that one meets you at the gate. It's non-judgmental of where you are at the moment. And it's 14 days and it's training plans laid out. It's video series, it's shopping lists, meal plans. And that one, I think it's like two euro to get started. And the video course develops a lot of the, the concepts we talk about on cortisol mitigation. And you build from that after two weeks into the next one, next step on the roadman journey, which is an eight week challenge. And this is a little bit more of a improvement or a little bit more of a scaling up from the 14-day challenge. And we're introducing concepts like cold therapy. And because I found previously, you know, a client had come in and we just had one-on-one coaching and then you blast them with all this stuff. Okay. So your day used to look like, you know, get up in the morning and have coffee, go to work. And now you're like journaling and you're meditating. Guys are like, whoa, I'm so overwhelmed. And they just end up yeah, quitting. There's a lot to take in in one day. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's, it's stupid hard to be in. And so you need to do graded adaptation. So that's why we brought in this roadman journey where you bring guys on a journey from, because all of us are somewhere now that we're not that happy with. And we have a destination in the future, a goal in the future, whether it's complete an event or it's, you know, get a six pack again or drop your buddies out climbing. And that's the ultimate destination in the future. But if cycling, you know, if cycling is anything, it's a sport that rewards consistency. And that's why it it needs to be this graded approach in different phases. And that's why we try and bring guys along this pathway and say, look, it's not an overnight flick the switch and you're going to be a better person tomorrow. But if you follow us on this journey, you know, we we work with a lot of like CEOs and executives and they come in and they want to spend crazy money at the start. And you're like, no, come in. I start the journey like everyone else and trust the journey because on the far end of it, like it's why I'm still in the in coaching, if I'm honest, because you see guys and they come in and they're skeptical to start and you see them yeah. 12 months later and they've lost 15, 20 kilograms. Their skin is better. They feel better. Like I had one guy send a message saying like, he hasn't had sex with his wife uh, in six months before starting the plan. Now he's said he's at it like a teenager. And I was like, I just had to smile because I was like, that's the real stuff. You know, winning bike races and winning your local TT, that's a byproduct of what we do. And it's a, yeah, wel- yeah. It's a welcome byproduct. But the real thing that I get a kick out of is it's just making people feel good again. And being you should wake up every morning with like energy, with fire and, you know, that's what I felt when I implemented this system. And I went from a place of pretty beating myself up and feeling pretty down to the complete opposite end of that. And that's why I said, you know what, I just, I got to share this with people because it's, it's transformational. And it's powerful. It's a whole lifestyle thing. Yeah. I, I like it. Here's a question for you. Something I've, I've often wondered myself, because I think there have been, you know, similar kind of transformational uh, products in, in sort of general fitness and in, in other areas that have looked more holistically at, at, the, at the whole picture. But do, do you feel that cyclists are, I don't know, I think sometimes that I feel that a lot, there's a big part of the cycling community that are almost obsessed with suffering and and they needlessly suffer um, and 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 they're not they're they're less open to considering sort of i don't know light therapy or cold showers or meditation or, or and that's probably why you're going through this roman trip i suppose but i i find do you agree with me do you, i think cycling particularly is sort of not open to new ideas sometimes or cyclists particularly yeah it's funny because i gave a, a talk to a group of cyclists just before covid lockdown and i'd actually i I borrowed or stole this opener from a corporate talk I was at. And I thought, you know what, this is just so fitting for cyclists. And so I had a 50 euro note in my hand and I had a 50 cents coin in my hand. And I said to them, which is more valuable? And immediately everyone got their head goes to thinking, this is a trick question. And so most people came back with the 50 cents is more valuable because of the intrinsic value of it. There's a value of the metal and the note is just paper. And I just thought, you absolute muppets. Like the 50 euro is obviously whatever, a thousand times more valuable, but that's what we're conditioned as cyclists to think that the easy way can't be the correct way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skeptical the whole time, yeah. Yeah, that there there has to be... element of suffering involved but the reality is success leaves clues and you don't have to 
plow this path on your own. Someone has done it before. There's been amazing peer-reviewed studies conducted, you know, forced out on those poor rats that get hammered in every laboratory experiment. And then into human trials. And we've reviewed this stuff for long periods. And, you know, we can nail down what works. You don't need to be the martyr. Yeah. No, I, I agree. No, I totally agree. And, and I, I mean, I think I find myself guilty of it as well. But I, I do think there is that thing. And uh, it, I, I find it funny, isn't it? It's, is it funny? Cy- we're funny beings, cyclists, I suppose. But do you not think we can go the other way as well? Like, I'm seeing this a bit. I'm not sure what it's like in your experience that you want to be a cyclist. And if your goal is to come in and win bike races, there's a period of any bike race that it's not physical. It transcends physical. It's mental. And you need to be able to just suffer more than the other guy is suffering. Like, I'm not yeah. sure if you heard uh, Soren Anderson's uh, interview post-stage when he won three days ago, uh, the third last stage of the tour, he said uh, Trentin attacked full gas and he was absolutely in the red and he thought, now is the time I have to go. And like, that's miserable. No one wants that. But there is an element of that in our sport that you need to attack when nobody wants to attack. But like Zwift, Trainer Road, these sort of platforms as greater tools as some of them are if used correctly i think they're teaching people that you know what cyclings it's you can sit indoors and someone tried to make a comment to me recently that zwift was harder than outdoor training and i was like if you blow up in zwift you're sitting in your living room okay there's no comparison to blowing up and sitting in your living room and blowing up in the mountains four hours from home and it's pissing rain and snow yeah i i think that's right and quite often well the, the key thing to this is right like a lot of these aspects that that off the bike that you're talking about will help improvement on the bike anyway and it's probably what the pros are using anyway as well and you know i think that we see only like one dimension of sort of cycling in the media and it's and it's numbers it's what per kilos it's, it's huge watts and it's it's this kind of suffering thing that everyone's like well i need to do that as well and i need to not eat much to make sure i can lose that weight and improve my work and it's kind of it's, it's a very one-dimensional way of looking at it yeah 100 percent. the pros are so three-dimensional and that's why i came up with this three-dimensional coach and through the roadman cycling podcast i've been lucky enough to chat to you know most of the world tour guys you know the you know, Bling Matthews on a few weeks before the tour. Nicholas Roach, Yanni Brakovic, Tyler Hamilton. I've had them all on. And it's amazing how holistic they are in their approach to training recovery. And it's just light years ahead of what people think it is. And every time I have one of these podcasts, I'm learning so much about them. Like chatting to Willie Smith from BH Burgos about using ketones and fast fasted rides and the idea of cellular autophagy and concepts like this. And these guys are clued in. Like they're clued in like I don't think riders were in the, you know, pre-Armstrong era anyway. Well, that's it. And but it's not they don't talk necessarily about that in in the main cycling media. So you don't hear about what they're doing. You know, it's not they're seeking the best ways to recover possible but they you don't you don't read that so you people tend not to look for those solutions which made me think you know you mentioned the cold showers there were you using some of these when when you were riding as an elite rider as well some of these methods around breathing and meditation and no no i i was pure just learning from what was in front of me and in france it's so old school it's still so old school i'm sure like we were digging the center out of our baguettes in france because we thought the dough would stick in your legs like it was bizarre we wouldn't eat after training for sometimes hours and it was really really old school and it was only in sort of i suppose my second coming where i figured out look if cycling is going to be a sustainable part of my life I can't be coming back from a three-hour spin and just dead for the rest of the day. I need to be productive. And that's when I started digging into these other sort of biohacks to maximize recovery. And and I'm sure it's a silly question, really. But I, I, do you think, I mean, yeah, you obviously got into cycling late, but I assume you, you wish you'd known them when you were sort of racing as a pro as well. Yeah, 100%. But you know what? I don't think they're as necessary when you're a pro because my life when I was a full-time cyclist, it was go out, ride the bike, come back, rest and that was really it but now if you know if you're in a relationship you got to go out and ride the bike for three hours you can't come back and just say to the missus like oh no like i'm going to bed for the day like no. you've, you've well, you can try you can try you see a lot you're back on tinder in a week <laughs> like you know we've all got obligations whether they're you know big ones or trivial ones but life needs to keep moving for us and especially if the attitude that a lot of cyclists have it's progressive and want to do better want to learn more want to advance their career want to advance their relationship and you know the the great motivational speaker tony robbins talks about the only thing we need in life to be happy is progress we need to be better this week than last week this year than last year 
And if you're just riding the bike and you're coming home and you're wrecked after training, it doesn't matter how much you're progressing in life. If the other areas of your life are all regressing, you're not going to feel that good about yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, how does so how does this roadman journey work? Is is it a website or is it a, how does? Yeah, it's all over on our uh, home coaching page. So that's just roadmancycling.com. And yeah, it's all fairly self-evident from there. I think the first phase of the roadman journey is the 14-day kickstart challenge. Then people sort of gra- graduate into the eight-week challenge and then graduate into mentoring one-on-one with one of our coaches. And then if anyone wants to take the plunge and step up the level to getting harassed by me on a daily basis, they'll graduate then into the work with Anthony. Very good. So that's as interesting that you, you, you get your athletes to a point before they start working one-on-one with the coach. Yeah, you know what? I think one-on-one coaching is not for everyone and a lot of people get an awful lot out of just understanding the basics of how to threshold test how to use some of the analytics software that's out there so yeah i think and is that an option with roman someone can just come and, and do the sort of first you know the initial journey and then continue or do you then you always graduate to working with a coach no you can just come the first one the 14 day challenge like i have a price at like two euro as i saying like if my motivation was cash i'd be back in law so that's why I've priced the first kickstart challenge at two euro. I just want everybody to do it because I really believe in the transformative power of what we're doing. So I wanted, to, I didn't want price point to be an issue because I had students and stuff messaging me going, oh, like one-on-one coaching is like 150 quid a month. Like I can't really afford it. And I was like, oh, he needs it. And then you end up giving it away. And uh, so I said, look, the first phase of the roadmap journey, you can get a lot out of just going and doing that for 14 days for two euro because it gives you the shopping lists. It gives you the menus recipes hydration guides how to use analytics how to threshold test and then it has training plans built out for three different levels you know the interesting one it's actually built out is i've built one specifically for masters riders people over 40 yeah and what what changes then is it is it don't want to give too much away obviously but what is it's a slightly different focus or do you tell me do they is there a, a heavier weighting to strength and conditioning off the bike because that becomes more important as a masters rider right yeah 100 percent. so we don't use strength and conditioning in the first 14 days cause it's just too small a period to see a, a change yeah. in, in someone yeah. so that starts coming in around the eight week challenge sort of the second phase but but if you're doing a straight up 14 day plan for a master's rider, just the recovery period between intervals needs to be different and the amount of recovery in a week needs to be different. Our human growth hormone production, it's declines post the age of 40 and human growth hormone from day to day. It gives us that, like I always say, training gives us the potential to be better. And that potential is realized when we properly recover. And human growth hormone is such an essential, it's such an essential uh, building block for that recovery. So that declines as we get older. So you need to just be cognizant of stuff like that when you're building out the training plan. Yeah. Very cool. Well, look, we'll put all that in the show notes and make sure if you're interested, they can drop you a note as well. We've got your email we can put in there. Is there a contact form on the, on the website as well? Yeah, either or there's a contact form on the website or info at a1coaching.net is the email address. Excellent. So we'll get, yeah, make sure you get in touch if you've got any questions. And Antti, tell me in terms of, uh, you mentioned earlier that, that, you know, you love to read, you love to listen to, to different podcasts away from just purely cycling and, and with the sort of biohack stuff, what are you investigating or what are you looking into at the moment in terms terms of new philosophies new ways of just general well-being and welfare what's interesting you at the moment yeah look i'm definitely in the well cycling gifts us this amazing amount of time especially if you're training solo and you know i'm kind of old school and that i still do i know a lot of people now are worried about traffic and but i do listen my headphones in when i'm out training still so i listen get through a lot of podcasts and I really enjoy Sam Harris at the moment, the Waking Up podcast. He talk. I'm yeah. not sure. Have you listened to it? I'm a big, yeah, I, I actually use his meditation app as well. That's what I use for meditation. Yeah, it's brilliant. I have it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I highly recommend it actually. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. So enjoy Sam Harris waking up, Jordan B. Peterson, and, you know, like everyone else uh, in the world, I suppose, at the moment, I'll dip in and out of Joe Rogan as well from time to time. Yeah, depending on the good ones. And and any books that you've sort of read recently? Yeah, I just finished a great book, actually, uh, and it's something I'm contemplating uh, incorporating into our sort of three-dimensional coaching. It's by an author called James Nestor, and it's Brett is the name of it. B E R A T H. And I literally just read it. I lit- so we had um, we had Chuck McGree the third on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Awesome! I didn't hear that one. I must check that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've just finished the book as as um, as well. It's fascinating, right? Unbelievable! I 
I actually never, anecdotally, I'd been on the Watt bike doing intervals. And if you focus on breathing through your nose, I always found, oh, it does seem like heart rate's getting lowered a little bit faster than mouth breathing. But when you look at some of the studies, so for anyone who hasn't read the book or doesn't know the premise, he, James Nestor is a journalist and he has surgically blocked up his nostrils for the first couple of chapters of the book to see the effects of breathing through your nose versus breathing through your mouth. It's unbelievable. Yeah, basically every vital health test plummeted, every number plummeted. And there's a huge amount of of new science around the benefit of, of, well, we all should be breathing through our nose. And uh, yeah, I've tried it on the turbo as well, because I I am a mouth breather. I've been taping my mouth at night now since I read the book. Sleep quality has improved dramatically. But just holding water in your mouth when you're on the turbo, you realize, I always thought I couldn't breathe through my nose from a couple of old sort of rugby broken nose and stuff, but you can. You can do it. And if you hold water in your mouth on the turbo, give it a go and, and you realize you can breathe through your nose on the bike. Are you getting some funny looks off your missus when you're taping your mouth at night? I'm always getting funny looks from the missus. Yeah, she she was just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing the exact same take and I'm going through the exact same debate every night. She's like, you're not going to talk to me at all. I'm like, tape on. <laughs> Yeah, tape on. I've got the old, because I'm quite into the whole biohack stuff as well. So I've got the old uh, blackout blindfold uh, over the eyes as well and tape on my mouth. She's like, I'm a lucky lady. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's absolute, like sleep quality is just so important. There's another great book on why we sleep. It's called Matthew Walker is the author. And it's brilliant. If anyone hasn't read that and you're sleeping, thinking like you're progressing in life, because remember it used to be like a badge of honor to sleep less. You hear people, oh, yeah, like I'm so busy. I'm only getting five hours a night sleep. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's basically bad. every every day you don't sleep under seven hours is a, is a night sleep, sleep lost. You can't get it back, right? Yeah. Like if you're not sleeping eight hours, like you're so messed up later in life, your statistical chances of developing like Alzheimer's and stuff like that, they just crazy go to the roof. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know if you remember on the, on the podcast a few weeks months ago we, we spoke about a book called stuffocation i've just read james warman's follow-up time and how to spend it and i think that's quite relevant to a lot of uh, a lot of uh, your philosophies as well i'm hoping to get james uh, on the podcast and it might be worth getting you back on if you want to chat to him as well but that's yeah, uh, what i haven't actually heard of him what's a time and how to spend it time and how to spend it by james warman but he wrote uh, we had ed lucky bay and was uh, set up four boroughs cafe in london it's become a, a sort of uh, i don't know epicenter for cycling in south london and it's uh, it's a, they do amazing coffee. It's a, a coffee shop there. But the story is basically three lads gave up their corporate life and, and followed the dream of setting up something they've always wanted to do and they were passionate about. And uh, they basically did that off the back of reading his first book, Stuffocation. Amazing. And isn't it just, it's a cultural shift that we're going through at the moment. And I think COVID has maybe accelerated that where people are starting to look around and think, you know what, the goal of life isn't about addition. It's not about getting more and having more. It's actually about subtraction. And it's about saying, what stuff can we strip away here and get back to being happy? Because we all started out happy. And then at some point we lost our way. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, I think you and I are similar. I'm a little bit older, but I think, yeah, that's basically what James says in his book. It's that we're the first generation that have sort of questioned, okay, money and job title doesn't necessarily equal status. Uh, there's no direct correlation between status in that respect and happiness. And uh, we're, we're the first sort of generation to sort of question, you know, do we want to be slaving well, you 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 missed you dodged the lawyer the legal bullet bullet to be honest. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm lucky enough to coach guys from all walks of life and from you know guys who are unemployed and they're scraping together cash to come in for a one-on-one mentoring, and guys who are literally founded billion-dollar companies. And I can tell you, there's absolutely no correlation between money and happiness. Like some of the guys I see, they're unemployed and they're you know maybe starting at the beginning of an apprenticeship and very poorly paid, and they're some of the happiest people I know. And yeah, I just yeah. I don't ever see that correlation. Yeah, and I, I know it's a privileged thing to say, but I think traveling gives you that um, insight as well to realize that. Uh, and certainly in my day job, I see that there's definitely no correlation between necessarily between uh, wealth and happiness. Thank you for, have I missed anything? Have I missed any uh, any anything we wanted to discuss? Obviously, you, we should, you should check out the the Roman podcast yeah the podcast is where a lot of my energy is going at the moment i suppose i'm in that funny cusp where i the podcast is going brilliant but i'm certainly not joe rogan and you know it's something that's growing i'm getting amazing guests and like i love learning and i love reading like a lot of cyclists do this idea of constantly sucking in information and the podcast has been amazing for that because 
you yeah. don't always have time to read somebody's book, but you can get them on the podcast and you can chat to them and they'll give you the best bits of it. And that's what I'm loving so much about the podcast. Yeah, definitely. And that's when you dropped me a note. I was very keen to get you on because I think we're quite similar in that respect, just sort of soaking it all in along the way. But from one podcaster to another, how good is Rogan's new studio? Have you seen it? He's, he's just moved to Texas. It's pretty trippy, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's, <laughs> he's supposed to spend a bit of cash on it. Yeah, it's like a fuselage off a plane or something here. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. He's, he's done some good stuff. I much prefer his ones when he's got some academics on there or, or writers or, or more interesting people. But uh, yeah, he's done very well. Yeah, the, the reason why Mike Tyson is actually crazy. And like, if you're looking for, to, if you're a young aspiring cyclist looking to come up and the hunger that you need, you can take it from Mike Tyson in that uh, the absolute passion that he has for yeah. just fighting is unbelievable. He says he gets yeah. physically erect when he's fighting yeah. combat sports. It's a mental interview. Yeah, I know. And I, I heard that that particular quote, uh, President Trump retweeted. <laughs> Seriously? Doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was, uh, he gets physically aroused at causing pain. That was it, wasn't it? Or beating his, his enemies. And he said it must be one of the greatest. I think Joe Rogan at the time must have been just thinking like, I've made it. Like when he heard this quote from Mike Tyson, because he was asking him about how he used to be such a laid back dude last time he was on the podcast. And he was finished with this sort of phase of his life where he was hurting people. And he leaned in, he just whispered to Joe Rogan. And he said, the gods of war whispered in his ear that it was time to go again. And I just thought, here's a man I would not want to fight. I know. I know you wouldn't, right? I mean, how old is he now? He was, what, 50? Yeah. He's yeah. in awesome shape. It shows you like what he's really into the biohacking. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It's beyond biohacking. It's stem cell treatments, things like this that are, you know, if I wasn't a competitive cyclist, I would definitely be exploring some of this type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's into that, isn't he? He's cause he's totally sober now as well, isn't he? Yeah. And I, yeah, he's he's huge into diet. He's huge into philosophy and meditation and yeah, he, he's, he's gone on that journey and he's, he's come out a different person. Wow. Who would have thought? Mike Tyson, eh? <laughs> Very good. Now, Anthony, we, we, we've heard just a snippet of just how, how busy a man you are. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me today. I really, really appreciate you, uh, you doing that. Yeah, no, I absolutely was really looking forward to it. It's like we were saying off air at the beginning. Uh, I actually don't listen to a lot of cycling podcasts, but yours is the one I make sure I get every time there's a new episode out and I always have it in my ear out training. So yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to be on here and chatting. So thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And likewise, make sure you check out the, the Roman podcast and make sure you check out the Roman website as well and look at look at uh, some of the very cool things that Anthony and the team are doing. Cheers. All right, mate. You take care of yourself. Let's stay in touch and maybe we'll get you back on again in the not too distant future. Yeah, 100%. That was great. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.